Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today we're talking a lot about MLS roster moves thus far, as well as moves that might happen and maybe moves that should happen. To do so, I'm joined by a man who has not committed himself to growing a mullet in the new year. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. Congrats on the standard haircut. Um, thanks, man. It's it's really nice. I feel good about my flow. I feel good about it not changing anytime soon other than the occasional mm-hmm. trim. I don't mm-hmm. feel great about being number three on the facial hair power rankings for today's Tuesday show. Usually I feel like I'm at least level with Goss or I've got a little bit of an edge. Uh, today I am down uh, one slot in that power rankings, but uh, the no mullet thing does make me feel a lot better, Taylor. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm glad. Joe, what is the silliest thing that you've committed to on social media that then came back to uh, to haunt you? Uh, weirdly, I, I don't get into a lot of those traps, no? you know, like I, I think we'd be at one point committed to eating a literal hat if Austin <laughs> FC did something. Uh, and, and we'll get into the next situation here in a moment. But no, I, I try to stay in a pretty comfortable spots online and it's mostly working for me. It sounds like Werner Herzog vowing to eat a shoe, and then he did. Joining us this week is a gentleman who I'm assuming also has no plan and isn't Twitter committed to rocking an absurd hairstyle. It's Tom Bogart. Hi, Tom. What's going on, boys? I, I just want to get get it out of the way here first. I think Joe would look excellent with a mullet. So, so Joe, if you want to join me. <laughs> Tom's trying to transfer his mullet debt onto yep. me. Yep. I think not, man. That's no, not, not transfer. Just do it together. Misery loves Oh, I it. see. You're looking for a merry band. Well, hmm, yeah, yeah I've got to tell you, my fiance isn't thrilled when she found out. Shocker, yeah. <laughs> so uh, for those who have not seen it, Tom, how, how did this come to be? How did you find yourself in this predicament? I borderline don't know. Apparently, two <laughs> years ago, I replied to a tweet joking that when Brian White gets called up, I'll gladly do a mullet. I had no recollection of sending that tweet. It was a reply. It wasn't like, so like the views obviously on it were lower because you have to be looking at that conversation. And, um, you know, 25 minutes before the lineups came out, I got a text from Doyle sending me that tweet. I was like, how the hell did you find this? Man? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, stop searching did he my say? tweets, you dork. Has he, has he like, do you think he's kept that in the chamber this whole time? Does he have a spreadsheet where he just tracks ridiculous Twitter promises? He claims he was trying to Twitter search for one of his own Brian White U.S. national team takes mm. and just happened to find this. I was like, that's suspect, man. I, I don't I don't believe you. <laughs> well, so are you are you actually going to have to do it now? Are you growing? Yeah, I'm a man of my word. I will. I like that's the thing. It's not like I don't I, don't, I hope that people aren't expecting me to have it for two months. Yeah, I, I, I could do it for a couple of days. You know, I feel a little stupid going into the barbershop twice. <laughs> I, I did actually find a tweet from you from four years ago that oh, if no. you ever cut your hand and mullet, you would keep it that way for six months. Right. So <laughs> I feel like you're kind you got, of, I'm backtracking kind of with trouble here. When you said I found another tweet of yours from four years ago, I was like, oh no, what did I promise this time? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Didn't think that I did much of this. Now people Tom kept on trying to get me office. to uh, wager my mustache on something. I was just like, absolutely not, you clowns. No. Yeah, there is a line here. Yeah, never going on the respect. Yeah, give me a break. 
That's a that's a piece of national security that mustache must remain. Uh, Tom, we are going to talk a lot about uh, MLS moves that have happened, should happen, as I said in the intro. Joe and I spent about 15 minutes yesterday on the weekend review talking about the USA's 1-0 loss to Slovenia, the US uh, DEF team. Not really sure which one that was. Uh, for you, a man who now has to grow a mullet because of that team, uh, were there any sort of takeaways for you, any things that you particularly enjoyed or thought were particularly noteworthy? Um, I'll start negative first. I, I really don't understand why this wasn't like at least eight players Olympic age eligible. I don't I just don't really understand why that wasn't the emphasis. Again, I know that a lot of players like still 11 players made their senior debut. So it was experimental, all of that stuff. But I thought the whole point of this roster being the way that it was without some of the air quote more veteran U.S. national team guys that are on the periphery of the pool that are in MLS you know, Rodon and Morris and, and Ariola and, and Ferrer, and, and you kind of go down the list of all these guys who weren't called up. Um, I thought the whole point was to run mostly an Olympic age eligible 11 and, and kind of see who's going to solidify their place on that team and, and everything. And then the starting 11 comes out and there's only five Olympic age eligible players, which I didn't love. So Watsky as a center back and a back four, I really don't see it. I just don't see him being there in the future at all, really, for the national team. So just kind of feel like it that was a waste as well. Um, but on the positive side, I know that Kamungo was, it was his mistake that led to the goal. Other than that, I thought he was really lively, dynamic. He's the kind of player that, like, I think he's more or less solidified his place on the Olympic roster and, like, probably won't be as a starter or just maybe not as a starter because he's one, like, his profile is going to be super useful. You know, you're trailing by a goal with 20 minutes left. He's somebody who could come off the bench and make a difference. Another player that I, I think his stock rose the most was Esmer. Uh, I'm just going to say Esmer now because I'm in my head. New <laughs> England Revolution winger. He only has like 500 first team minutes for the refs. So I was a little bit surprised when he was called into this roster, um, but he was awesome. He, <clears throat> I thought he was the best player. I thought he did the most for his stock. I went from thinking like, oh, is he really going to make the Olympic team? To like, oh my God, like he's got to be on the team. So that was really good for him. I thought Luna was fine. McGuire was okay. Brian White didn't get any service, so he was okay, but it's not like he could have done too much more. I mean, it just kind of is what it is. And, you know, an inconsequential January transfer, uh, January uh, camp game for the Nationals. <laughs> Every fourth word contractually from Tom has to be transfer across all <laughs> audio and visual mediums. So uh, just as a disclaimer, mostly up front to listeners, you can expect more of that. I'm glad to hear you talk about Kamungo in a positive way a little bit, because I think Joe was similarly inclined yesterday, and I was a bit more critical. Joe, so does that pretty much vibe with your uh, takeaways on Kamungo? Yeah, completely. I thought he was uh, that he was mostly really strong in this uh, in this match, with the exception of that one moment that Tom mentioned. Like he's a really really exciting young player who's growing at a trajectory that's really hard to like get a grip on. Right? This is not a guy who's played much professional soccer, let alone professional soccer at a top division kind of level. So he's come onto the scene very, very quickly and seems to be improving at a really rapid rate. What that will look like come Paris and come you know beyond that is, is kind of anybody's guess right now. The obvious question when it comes to January camp and one that I don't believe we, we got into yesterday, Joe, do either of you have strong opinions on which players from this roster are most likely or could become most likely to make like consistent U.S. rosters going forward? Yeah, one that I, I think really will be there, it's just mostly a matter of when, is Diego Luna. Tom mentioned him. He he was just kind of fine. I thought he was a little better than fine, but the bar was really low. Like, it, it wasn't like he did a ton of amazing stuff, just nobody around him in the midfield or really out wide outside of a few moments from Kamungo until Barak Tarevich and McGlynn came on. Mm. 
were were special. Like Luna is special in this U.S. pool. A lot of it, I think, hinges on what this year looks like for him. Like this year should be absolutely no question should be his breakout year with Real Salt Lake. And if he comes out, or maybe breakout's not the right term, but it should be the year that he takes a step forward and becomes like a very, very good Major League Soccer attacker because he has all the tools. Now, some of that depends on how Pablo Mastroeni wants to use him, but he looks like the real deal basically anytime any of us watch him. He is really, really good, and I think his profile, Tom mentioned profile for Camungo, like the the silky smooth, press resistant, can turn out of tight spots, good vision, like that kind of player just straight up doesn't exist in this pool really outside of someone like Gio Reyna. So he, Diego Luna is somebody that I think has a big future for the U.S. I'm with you there, Joe. And I agree with kind of everything you're saying that like, I kind of, I guess he broke out last year with RSL, like from the U20 World Cup forward. Like he, yeah. he really, you know, went, moved forward. But I totally agree. 2024 has to be another step forward. And I can tell you that Real Salt Lake are, are going to give him every chance. They are planning around that. Like the profiles that they're looking for, because they need to add to their attack, you know, maybe a DP or maybe um, a young DP and, and kind of a TAM player or something like that. But the framework is who's going to fit well with Luna because we want Luna, like Luna likes to drift in. We need somebody who's intelligent to interpret space that can work best with Luna. It's like all the feedback I'm getting is that they're planning around Luna being, hmm. if not the centerpiece, a centerpiece to that like attacking. Yeah, and kind of, I guess, shifting into, I know we'll do a bunch more MLS roster stuff later on. Tom, sticking with RSL, they have two DP spots open. And you mentioned, like, you know, may- maybe they're not going to fill both of those. Who knows exactly what that's going to look like. Do you know where they see Luna? Because I-, I know, I've watched Diego Luna play since he was very young. I know coaches that have coached him and, and strongly believe that he should be a number 10. Pablo Mastroeni doesn't seem to really think that, given where he's played. Luna mostly played for listeners on the left side of a 4-4-2, really it sort of became like a 4-triple-2 because Luna likes to go inside and he kind of goes mm-hmm. where he wants. But it's not the same as playing that dedicated 10 role. Tom, do you know where RSL's front office envisions him playing? It seems like that to me. Um, again, things can change depending on what targets they get. But just some of the feedback I was getting is, so if if they do play the the four triple two, yeah. the second forward who's playing next to Aron, like that's who that there, it needs to be somebody who can drift wide when Luna tucks in. So right. like that's the framework of what they're thinking and what they're scouting. So that all leads me to believe that the current plan or the primary plan is Luna on the left wing, but playing inverted and, and having the freedom to go find the spaces. Cause they're also trying to sign a Greek left back who, again, I don't, I don't know much about him. He plays in the post league, but, from uh, the, the people at RSL that I spoke to, that they really like his ability to get forward and overlap. And that fits perfectly with if you have a player like Luna who's always trying to get into the half spaces in those channels to create the width. You need a left back that's overlapping constantly. And so, again, like all of these things lead me to believe that's their primary uh, plan. With RSL, if we're sticking with them for a second, do you like what you've seen in terms of the way they've constructed their roster thus far, the moves they've made? Are are there obvious areas of need you'd like to see them pursue? Yeah, I mean, I would really like like to see them like take another Chicho Rongo level swing with one of their DP spots. Like with Savarino being out as well, like, again... uh, when new ownership comes in and, and look, new ownership did this to themselves. They, they took the victory lap at the press conference about how we're going to increase spending. And you know, the subtext of that is, well, it, it's not hard to increase spending on the lowest spending team in the league. Right. Like, so again, like I don't, I don't think that they're going to come out and drop a $15 million transfer fee on a player. And then an $8 million transfer fee on another player. But I think it's fair to, to hope that outside of Chicho Rongo now with the, the, that 6 million fee, 
that they bring in like another serious senior level DP. And then that third spot could either be a young DP or a restricted or whatever. Like I'm not expecting two huge signings, but I don't think it's unfair to like really hope because like to really hope or expect them to add one more, whether that's a second forward, whether that's a winger that really kind of frees up Luna to play more centrally. Um, but this team, like they have a lot of strengths, like Pablo Ruiz and, and, and Ojeda in, in the midfield. I think that's a really strong duo. Diego Luna taking the next step. Chicho Rango is a centerpiece to an attack. Like he's, you know, he's not maybe quite Buanga's level, right? Or, or you know, insert the best like Hani Mukhtar, but he's not far off. Like if you go into a playoff game with Chicho Rango as your best player, you do have a chance of hmm. that player being the best player on the field in, in any given, you know, 90 minutes. So this team is really close. And if they were able to swing a high level DP, like they in a pretty weak Western conference as well, yeah. they'd be among, I think, the, the definitely top four favorites, if not pushing for the top spot. Joe, are you in agreement there? I'm assuming uh, based on the yeah. Yeah, I, I am. RSL just haven't done anything this offseason in terms of incomings. The, the biggest, most notable move that they've made is signing Fidel Barajas from the Charleston Battery. Yep. Who I, I love that move, and I'm here for the USL to MLS pipeline and sort of figuring out what that looks like going forward. But in terms of you know, what it means for RSL's 2024 season, it probably doesn't mean very much. So they've let Demir Krylak go. Fair play. I think that made a lot of sense. He's not really fit and not able to play a, a I can't role. believe Vancouver gave him a two-year contract. I just, yeah. It, I it love does. Demir Krylak, man. I wouldn't. I, I, that That's a one-year guarantee for me. Yeah. There, there have been a few too many injuries, and he's on the wrong side of 30. And then they let Savarino go back to South America, which is fair enough. I think Savarino is a good but not great MLS-designated player. You can upgrade on that spot. We're just now waiting, like Tom said, for them to go out there and make the moves that, that – show that they're trying to separate themselves from the soup that is sort of like the Western Conference spots below Seattle, maybe, or maybe they're in the soup. Like, it's really hard to tell in the West right now. Zooming out for a second, um, Tom mentioned RSL not likely to break the bank necessarily, not going to be one of the bigger spenders. Uh, FC Dallas, I think, still has like a DP spot available, which they've had available since January. Minnesota, I think, has three people working in their entire organization. <laughs> For either of you, is there a team that has made a move or just done any business that you find surprising because it's not typically how they operate? Is there a team that you think is taking it more seriously, is making moves? I'm not asking specifically with Colorado in mind, but Colorado comes I, to mind. That was, that was where I was going to go with it, too, because, look, again, this isn't like they went out and hit a bunch of home runs, like just blank checks all over the place. But look, Georgi Mihailovic, club record transfer fee at, at north of $3 million. They were able to swing that Zach Steffen deal. They were able to swing the deal to bring back Sam Vines. They went out in free agency immediately and got Omir Fernandez, who um, he's either the youngest ever or second youngest ever available free agent on the market. What I don't know if he or Griffin Dorsey was born before each other. They're in the same age, the same age bracket. But again, like that's a pretty key signing. Like that, that's, that's, MLS 4.0 or whatever, that there's less restrictions on free agency and there, there still shouldn't be any restrictions on free agency if you call it free agency. <laughs> but like that's kind of one that's flown under the radar because they've made a bunch of other signings. Like they're going to sign a defensive midfielder and like that's five new starters and a lot of high level starters. And particularly if they're able to convince Kellen Acosta to come back as that number six, like I'm ready to overhype the hell out of Colorado. <laughs> that's the case. Like they're my, you know, the, the, Orlando City Memorial um, winners of the offseason so far for me. <laughs> I'll, I'll push back a little bit on Colorado, not because I don't like what they've done this offseason. They're clearly better than they were last season, right? They were a train wreck last but season. But again, last place, and like that, that yeah, that's a fun a thing to bar. say, except like you can't go any. 
King yeah, so. it's, the, it's the RSL spending principle that we're now coining Tom, for future use. Like, they've gotten better. I just question, you know, Georgi Mihailovic will be the best player on that team. And he was probably the best player on that CF Montreal team that Wilfred Nance had and took the second place in the Eastern Conference back in 2022. Like, he can be the cornerstone of a very good team. Do Colorado have the other pieces that Montreal have? They don't have the manager that Montreal had. I don't think anybody would argue that Chris Armas can do to a team what Wilfred Nance has done to team, multiple teams down inside of Major League Soccer. And I, I don't even know that they have the other supplementary pieces around them. They've gotten stronger. Like Sam Vines is a good MLS player. Kellen Acosta is a fine MLS player if they get him in as a free agent. Like, like they have pieces to go out and contend in the West. But I, I think if this team's in the Eastern Conference, like we're still talking about them fighting for the playoffs, right? So I, I think there is still some uh, measuredness, if that's even a real word that, that we need when it comes to Colorado. They've so got so clearly gotten better. But I think, you know, you look at the massive hole or at least massive question mark in the number nine spot when it comes to Navarro in, in was on loan last year. Like, is, is he the guy? He didn't show really anything to make us believe he was, but he also didn't have any talent around him last year. So there are a lot of questions when it comes to the top end for me of this roster. I think players like two through three through 11 or three through 15 or whatever are, are competitive. But do they have the, the very top end to actually make a lot of noise? I think the jury's kind of still out on that. I, I think that's fair too. And, and the, the best counter argument to my optimism for Colorado is to point out their DP nine is Rafael Navajo and their DP winger is Kevin Cabral. Yep. And it's like, I still ha- I inexplicably have have real estate on Kevin Cabral Island, <laughs> so we'll see what happens this year. Um, I don't know. That might be one I just have to die with, but <laughs> I, I don't I don't see it appreciating so much in value. Uh, but like that's totally fair. Awesome like time. you can have like I think I I agree pretty wholeheartedly with the like three through eleven. I guess the the pushback would be that twenty one Colorado team. Yeah, like who is their best player? Like Diego Rubio, technically, right? Maybe like. Jonathan Lewis had a pretty good year, but not like, so I think that's, it, it's a difference between, I guess, regular season success and postseason success. This is the kind of team that no matter how well they do, they, they'll feel vulnerable if they get to the playoffs, even if, if they're a higher seed, just because of like, again, one game sample sizes, your best player has to be your best player. And if they line up against borderline, anybody in the Western conference, they won't have the best player on the field. Um, but I think this team is pretty well set for a solid regular season. The other, I feel like, limitation in my mind might be the manager, Chris Armas. Uh, you mentioned him briefly. And I, when I was preparing to ask about him, I think I defaulted to making like catty comments and snarky jokes about him. And I realized like I don't really know that much about Chris Armas. I can point to some of the issues he has had or the firings that have occurred. Do either of you have an argument for why this hire might make sense? Why Colorado went for Chris Armas? Or do we overinflate some of the negative negatives around yeah. him. I basically don't really know where I stand on him aside from he seems like not the most slam dunk of managerial appointments. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair as an assessment. Like he is not shown across the Red Bulls, across Toronto. You know, it's hard to measure assistance impacts on team for those of us on teams that for those of us that are on the outside. When he's over in England with Leeds and Manchester United, like who who knows what was going on there, but he has not shown uh, an ability to materially impact a team for the better. With that being said, I think there are some stylistic reasons why it makes sense to bring him into Colorado. You know, CSO Colorado Rapids Chief Soccer Officer Padraig Smith has talked about, I definitely did not pronounce that correctly. We're going to move right Porig. past that. <laughs> Porig, yeah, Porig Smith has talked about like, you know, we want to go back to the Rapids way, sort of referencing previous years where they have gone more transition heavy because let's face it, they just don't have the talent or, or like 
the Wilfred Nance. I'm not trying to beat that drum and continue to go back to Nance, but he's the only coach who's proven in MLS that I can ever recall an ability to turn a seemingly mediocre group of players plus a superstar or two into like a legit force in Major League Soccer. They just don't have the pieces as a club to go out there and play like 60% possession soccer. So let's go and, and let's mostly play against the ball. You know, Armas doesn't want to do that exclusively like Jesse Marsh does, but he, he doesn't want to have possession. They want to play likely a back four. They want to mostly stack numbers through the middle. Armas is at heart a pragmatist. And I think that's what Colorado needed to try and help them stabilize and maybe not take a step forward past stabilizing. Maybe there'll be another voice to do that three or four years from now. But I think for the the purpose of getting them back to like head above water territory, Armas is the guy that they identified and said, you know, he can help us do that. Well, so I, I agree with all of that. And the kind of unspoken part here, too, is salary restraints. Colorado Rapids, I don't know what Chris Armas' contract is, but I'm extremely confident it's bottom half, if not bottom quarter, right? Like, so that's part of the reason why, like, when you're shopping with that budget, you don't you don't get to go pick off Wilford Nonsay. You don't get to go find, like, the, the top, top candidates on the market. So that's all part of it. But I can say with with 100% certainty, Joe, that you are correct in that they, after they parted ways with Robin Frazier, they were like, we need to go back to transition. Yeah. They thought that's what they were still doing. And like, they were building the roster to be transition-based or at least transition-emphasized because of their money constraints. Like, yeah, you can possess, like, Manchester City if you have quadruple the budget of everybody else, more or less, in your division, in your league, right? Because then you just go buy the best players and play the best style. Colorado Rapids aren't doing that. Nobody really in MLS can, right? Like, because that's the whole point of the salary cap. So you can't completely disregard transition anyway. Um, and that's what Colorado thought they were going to continue and building on, because that's what the 21 team was. That's where they've had their most success. The, a, a story that was relayed to me is that Robin Frazier took um, a trip to watch training sessions of some of the better teams, like City and Arsenal and, and some some other stuff. And he goes, he comes back to Colorado before preseason and is like, look, like, it like you know, having conversations with the front office and the club, like, what do you think about this year? He's like, look, man, I've seen the light. Like, uh, we're gonna we're gonna possess and we're gonna play like beautiful soccer. And then it's like, all right, well, the roster was kind of built for transit. Like, do you think that we could really <laughs> do that? And it was like the the freezing iron event was like, don't worry, we're gonna take goal kicks, pass the ball, and score pretty goals. Like, I think at that moment, people around Colorado were like, oh, no, this might be a long year. Um, so they are trying very like that's the Chris Armas hire is absolutely to go back to pragmatism and to go back to kind of transition like that was the framework of the entire coaching. All right. Well, I hope that works for our Colorado listeners. Uh, I'm I'm assuming everybody expected us to start with RSL in Colorado. Yeah, let's go. Chat. Rocky Mountain, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> let's take a, a quick break and we'll be back with more MLS roster chat shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're talking MLS roster moves. Tom, let's move to Atlanta United for a second. Uh, Why was it such a priority for them to pursue only players whose names were impossible to pronounce? Can you take us through that list? Because I'm not even going to try. I think that Garth Lagerwey is just like, I'm bored of just winning normally. We need to sign players who are difficult to pronounce as well. Not like, just it's, good it's, players. It's crazy. It, it is kind of crazy to me that they really did. Like, not not one of them is one that I would say with confidence I'm able to pronounce properly. Bartos Schlich, I believe. Is, oh, that was good. Nailed it. That was really good. Um, Follow-up question, Taylor. Uh, Josh Cohen, question mark? Uh, <laughs> okay, is gotcha, it Cohen gotcha. or is it Cohen? It could go oh, either way. I see. If we're, I see. If we're oh, crap. Traffic, That's we, okay, all right. I like it. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, Tom, of those signings, which one do you think will have the biggest impact for them uh, since you successfully avoided having to list all of the different names? No, so uh, Steon Gregerson, center back, is the Miles Robinson replacement, Josh of Cohen. Course. And then is that might be, uh, and again, not... That's it, as if that's not a lot. Because, again, Schlees was signed for Saba Lobianese. That, that, that was last summer. summer, yeah. yeah. Okay. And Tristan Mjumba. But, like, so even that, like, that's an extension of it, of that since, like, Ju- uh, June 1st, that's one, two, three, four, five new starters at least. Six, if you count Caleb Wiley, like, trading away Gutman to make sure that Wiley was going to play every game. Like, this team is so much better than it was a year ago today. Um, and this was a team that a year ago today, or, or something about a year ago, was when they signed Yakumakis. And so they still had Yakumakis and Omada. They've done so much great work around yeah. that. I really like the Schlee signing because, again, this is a 24-year-old Poland international, $3.5 million transfer fee. So this is a serious player. He's a ball winner. He's he's somebody who's going to balance the midfield so much better. Like Tristan Miyumba came in and made the team look so much better because he was just a professional midfielder. They had just slop in the midfield before that really like they were so easy to play against and again Miyumba, i think his best characteristics are ball progression and possession base but just because he was like good fine at defending and intelligently could position himself they were that much harder to play against like now they have like a real life like potentially top quality number six which i find to be just about the most important position for like any serious contender because you go down the list all of the teams who win the title have a really good number six, and he makes the game so much easier for players around him. Yeah, it, it's hard not to love what Atlanta United have done, not just this offseason, but we can take it back to last summer as well. Yeah, I was skeptical of Lobo Janice and, and John De Silva, and both players were lights out to end the season last year. Like They turned Atlanta into a contender. Missing Thiago Amada for one of the games in that opening round series against Columbus really hurt them, and that second yellow was was not a good moment for him in his Atlanta United career. Like That really, really hurt and they weren't going to win MLS Cup with Brad Guzan starting in goal because he's just not that guy at this point. And it's bared out in the tape. It's bared out in the numbers. It's bared out in all sorts of things. He's still an Atlanta United player. Did not retire over the offseason. He's in preseason training camp right now. Josh Cohen, though, brought in very much to compete for that starting job. I'll admit, like, I don't think even Atlanta United are, like, sure of how good Josh Cohen is. He's gone from the United Soccer League in the United States over to Israel. Like, like we don't have a great read. Yes, he was in the Champions League from Maccabi Haifa. No, they did not make a run. Like, like we don't have a great handle on who Josh Cohen is as a soccer player and what his level is right now. With that being said, I'm of the opinion that it's hard to be worse as an MLS goalkeeper. Nothing personal at all intended to Brad Guzan, but it's hard to do worse than Brad Guzan did for Atlanta United last year. Like, that's a huge addition. I, I think 
if if Tiago Amato wasn't constantly the the hottest topic when it comes to MLS transfer rumors, like if Amato wasn't the t- number ten and they had you know Lucho Acosta or somebody who we know is going to be in MLS for a while longer, if he was their number ten, some elite level player. Atlanta United would be in every trophy conversation this year. The only reason, genuinely the only reason that they're not at this point with the roster looking the way it does is that, you know, we don't know if Almada's going to be here. Everybody sort of assumes, and Tom, you know this better than anybody, that he's not going to be here past the summer, right? It's feeling more and more like, you know, barring a godfather offer coming in across Garth Lagerwey's desk, that he will be here past the January window. Obviously, things are fluid, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the things that Tom has to say every time he says anything, right? But like... If Almada wasn't their guy and it was a Lucho Acosta or a, you know whoever else in Major League Soccer, this team would be in every MLS Cup conversation. Uh, the only reason that they're not is because nobody knows if Almada's going to be here or not. Tom, do you do you have much of a sense of what the plan is for if and when he is sold, or more likely when he is sold? Yeah. So, and and to to what Joe was saying, even if you could just guarantee he'd be here one hundred percent through until next January, like yep. they would be in all these conversations. Like, yep. it's it it really like I I completely agree with you. Um, the, the tough part is so in the timeline, it's the same as it was in the summer, same as it was at the beginning of the offseason. They have a valuation. They're not rushing him out the door. They, quite frankly, they've saved an open senior DP spot for when he ages out of the, uh, the young DP uh, slot that he currently has. Like, they aren't trying to let him, like, they understand that he is going to go. They understand that's what he wants, but they're not pushing him out and they're not going to be under pressure to take a low ball offer. So, this is all contingent on if that bid comes for, you know, 30 million or, you know, 25 and add-ons and a sell whatever the combination of an offer that gets to the valuation. Only when that happens is when everything starts to go in motion. And on the replacement side, I don't know this to be fact, but I feel very strongly about this deduction. In addition to saving that senior DP spot for Amada, that that's also for Amada's replacement. Like, you look at what Garth Lagerwey has done throughout his career. It's senior DPs, like particularly at a spot like this. Like I, I think that you could get away or not get away with. You can have a higher success rate or a higher floor with kind of young DP wingers. Like, but you're ten. You're like, look, look. He signed Yakumakis. He didn't go for a young DP center forward. He signed, you know, Golden Boot caliber center forward in his prime. So like, Nico Ladero was 26 or whatever when when he signed him in Seattle. Like it. It, I, I would bet a whole lot that it's a senior DP and that's that's who the shortlist is of their targets. And I'm certain that they are ready to go the day that a offer comes in for Tiago Amato. In both of your opinions, how much of a possibility is it that the Amato situation becomes a distraction for Atlanta this season or just becomes a negative story? Is he likely to agitate for a move? Is it likely to impact his play? Do you see it bleeding into the performances of the team itself? Or do you think... It's sort of a, he's going to move. We know he's going to move. We're making plans for him to move. It's going to be fine. Yeah, that, that, that's where I sit on it. But again, that can change if he starts to get impatient and angry. If there's like, again, if if Ajax never made a bid, they never made official contact, but it was kind of back channeled through intermediaries. Hey, what, like, would we be able to get him for 15 million? And they, the intermediary just laughed at them and said, I'm, I'm not even bringing that to Atlanta, you idiot. Um, and like Almada knows 15 million, that that's, you know, that's not something that he could Tom, realistically get were, upset. Were at. you the intermediary? Is that what I'm <laughs> I hearing wish, here? Man. Did you laugh? That would be much more lucrative than the stupid crap I'm doing right now. It's much, <laughs> it's much better than tweeting. I'll tell you that. But, um, and, but like, but what if a $25 million bid comes in and maybe that's like just below the valuation. And what if Atlanta rejects it? And then mm-hmm. the, the other team bidding says, that's our best and final offer. Take it or leave it. 
and they, they, you know, say no, then Almada might go into Boca Negra or Garth's uh, office and say, like, I'm not training. Screw you guys. Accept this bid. I'm done. Right. Like, so I think that's at least on the table. And that's not to say anything like that's just speculation. I haven't heard anything about Tiago Almada other than positive stuff about his professionalism, about all of this. And I don't even think it would necessarily be the most unprofessional thing ever if if it came to that. And he was like, you know what? I got to force my way. I got to force this through if they're going to, you know, reject a reasonable offer. So that's the only kind of worry about this situation for me is if if they disagree on what is and isn't a reasonable bid and what should or shouldn't be accepted. Hey, Taylor. But as of right now, with no bids, there, there's no argument to be had. Hey, Taylor, uh, what Tom said. That's okay. my answer to that question. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Yep, no problem. Well, okay. So- that was much more succinct than me. I like that. <laughs> So both of you, though, it seems like are, if we're going thumbs up, thumbs medium, thumbs down on Atlanta so far, you're both, yeah, trending thumbs up. Two thumbs up, yeah. I'm just going to throw out the team. Oh, Tom gets exploding fireworks for his thumbs up and a lot of celebrations. Congratulations, Tom. Big big, big moves in the Zencaster recording. Stopped myself from cursing. So you're welcome. (laughs) So you don't have more work on the back end of this. Thank you for that. Uh, Where are your thumbs when it comes to Charlotte? Joe, let's start with you. Uh, Thumbs, like, level, I guess. They they just haven't done. I'm so confused. They, so they haven't done that. anything <laughs> so so far right now. Like it, it seems like Camille Josviak is is going to be gone, and Tom can speak to that better than I can. Obviously, there's been talk about Carol Swiderski going, and Tom, you've reported about that, and it seems like there is a desire to make that happen. Uh, certainly on Carol Swiderski's end of things, they've made bids for you know for uh, Gronbach. I don't Albert Gronbach. I don't remember what the first yep. name is. Um, yep. from from Norway, I believe he's over in Norway right now. Like yep. they're trying to do things. It's just too early to judge them because they haven't happened yet. Like the two most notable things that they've done is sign a couple of players from the next pro roster who I, I like both of, but like, you know, we're not, we're not going to spend any time talking about that on this show. Right. So I, I, I don't really know where to put my thumb other than just sideways with me saying maybe it's going to creep up as they make some of these moves. Because if you get rid of Josviak, your life's going to get easier and it's going to get better. Um, but like they just haven't done it yet, man. Put it, put it this way then. Uh, Tom wrote a piece for The Athletic uh, about offseason needs, what each team needs. It was written a little while back, but I think it is still quite relevant. Joe on backyield, Ben Wright wrote one for you all, what each MLS team needs ahead of the 2024 season. Both of those pieces seem to indicate that Charlotte have a lot of good pieces, but it's sort of unclear which pieces fit together or how you fit them together or what Dean Smith is going to do with them. And that's where I'm sort of confused by them is it feels like both both the backfield piece and Tom's piece seem positive about aspects of the strength of Charlotte's roster, but are also unclear how that roster gets put together. Yeah, before Tom goes, because I, I want to hear Tom's insight on this. Uh, I disagree with both Tom and Ben. So this uh. is not a, a Joe backfield speech <laughs> for Joe. I do not like the Charlotte roster whatsoever. I think they are too old Ooh. in midfield. I think they're too old along the back line. Kalina is a, a solid goalkeeper. Milano's like... Sixteen years old. No, he's actually like twenty or twenty-three. Yeah. No, twenty-three now. But like, give me, come on. He's thirty-seven. I mean, Ashley Westwood in midfield, and you look at. I mean, is is Melanda a good center back? That's a whole separate conversation. Right. Like, I just, I just don't really like this roster. Is it good enough to quote unquote compete in Major League Soccer? Yeah, because everybody competes in Major League Soccer. <laughs> but I just don't Unless see you're the Chicago Fire. In, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Like, I just don't. Man, shots fired at Chicago. We gave Colorado an RSL time, and you're getting run over by the. We're coming to truck. Chicago next. Don't worry. About um, it. Like, I don't know. I just don't. I don't see it. I think they can get a lot better. With like two or three moves between now and the start of the regular season, but as things stand right now, like I, I wouldn't have this team anywhere near the playoffs. Tom, yeah, I say you, and and I do want to point out too that I was about 
I've been talking to my editors about doing the like needs. Be- Again, I know this isn't like an original idea that I had or whatever, right? But I had been talking to them about it for a few weeks. I was like, all right, I think I'm going to try to time it for when preseason opens for a lot of teams. I was three quarters of the way through writing my story. And then I see on Twitter Ben's excellent piece on backyard. I was like, this is literally the exact same thing I'm, I'm currently writing. And I don't want Ben to think that I'm just taking all of his notes here. Oh, but um, you're going to? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty smart. So I like the piece. Um, yeah, so what I like, I, I completely agree. It's disjointed. And that's been the MO of this team. That's been their problem for the first three years. It was under Miguel Angel Ramirez. He had a big say in a lot of signings. And like that was part of the frustration. He gets fired after 15 games. They have to start overturning the roster again. Latanjo comes in and he goes 4-4-2-ish. It's like 4-4-1-1, whatever. You know, Swiderski playing as a nine and a half. It worked really well. Okay, let's hire him as our full-time coach. And let's go, you know, instead of having Daniel Ruiz as the center forward, $6 million to go get Enzo Capetti as the center forward to play with Swiderski. And then all of a sudden, Latanjo comes in preseason and it's a 4-3-3 out of possession, but then um, a 3-2-2-3 in possession where... Brant Brownico's playing an inverted left back that he has to go from central midfield to left back. And, and they just get murdered in transition because, obviously, listen to what I'm just trying to explain. Of course that didn't work. Like, come on, right? So that's just been the MO of this team where they have good pieces. Capetti didn't have a good first season. Swiderski didn't have his best season, but he was still good. I still think that center that, that forward partnership would work, right? Like, there's the, the, a couple of the midfielders that I like. They signed a Serbian international. He, he made a, ca- uh, a cap playing against the United States in the January camp. So he's Serbian Youth International Foley and, and that one senior cap. Signed him for $3 million. He's been in their second team because they didn't do the salary cap correctly or they, they didn't anticipate how things would happen and they needed to get that deal done. They don't have any room for him in the, in the first team because they need to get rid of Camille Uziak or if it's Swiderski that leaves. So that's a microcosm of what I like. I like that Petkovic signing, but it didn't fit within the salary cap because like there wasn't enough of, I guess time for the vision to come through because they had to keep changing the vision with head coaches so with the under dean smith if they play a 4-2-3-1 it's going to be my expectation if they do sign grown beak or if they don't get him because that that would be a difficult deal to get done i'm imagining that they're going to continue looking for like a, a young dp number 10 or a tagger right and then you play a 4-2-3-1 Twiderski, maybe he goes back to europe use react they need to get off the books and that immediately brings petkovic into the midfield and then there you go now there's a 21 year old serbian youth international in your central midfield group and and that makes the cap situation so much healthier that they can go address wingers. And then they'll be able to add two more U22 initiative players to that group and then flesh out the depth. So to your point right now, I, I don't think things are great. And there are a lot of ifs through that whole rambling monologue there. And who knows if all of these things are going to come true or not, particularly like the later it gets, like these are all problems that we could have been talking about two months ago. And we're still sitting here with a bunch of questions. Um, but if they do a lot of those things, like I'm higher on Charlotte this season than I think most are. But again, that's a lot of ifs and a lot of faith. Are you higher on Charlotte or Chicago? Charlotte. Charlotte. Okay. Yeah. I know you so Chicago to, also has I'll, a bunch, bunch of stuff well. to do. Yeah. Let's talk about that, them, th- shall we? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll jump in immediately in that. Tom, so they Tom is already kept... rubbing his eyes in seeming frustration or pain. I'm not sure which, but sh- that feels like a good introduction to Chicago. They've been trying to get rid of Casper Shabilko since like, I don't know, two weeks after they traded for him and gave him a new contract. Um, Jairo Torres has been straight up probably for value, the worst DP ever. Like $6 million for uh, allegedly an attacker who has zero goals and zero assists. Allegedly. And 45 appearances. <laughs> like, um, what else? They. They triggered guests on him and as his 
option for no reason that made him a DP. And because of that problem, they had to give him a two-year extension to make him not a DP, but giving him another guaranteed year. So now they're trying to get rid of him again, even though they could have done this for free two years ago. Um, Suke has been here for a year, one of the most expensive right backs in the league. Straight up isn't good, money or no. So that's like five, six players that they need to get rid of. And oh, by the way, they gave the front office uh, new contracts. Way, way to go for all of these great decisions and great signings. Um, they had a meeting with Kellen Acosta day one of free agency. And day one of free agency, if the players are agree- agreeing to visit you on day one, you're in the lead. You Like, hey, close the deal, right? They 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 said all of these things about you. We want you to be the, the face of our rebuild. You know, we're, these are all the things we're going to do. The team's going to be much better. Like, you know, these players need to leave and then we're going to sign X, Y, and Z. Um, and Kelvin Acosta is still a free agent. And the last I heard, uh, he talked to uh, Chicago a few weeks ago. And the feedback was that, you know, Chicago was like, hey, like, you know, where were you at in your decision and all that? And he's like, hey, do you remember when you told me about how I was just going to be part of the, re- like, face of the rebuild? But, like, these are all the other things you're doing? You haven't sold anybody or signed anybody since we spoke a month ago. So, like, were you just saying this? Like, were you just trying to get me to sign? Like, what's going on, right? Like, so they haven't really done much of anything. Um, again, like Charlotte, there's still plenty of time for that to change. I do think that when they do bring in a DP number nine, the budget is there for, like, league record transfer fee. Like, they, the money won't be an issue for, for all the jokes and criticisms I'm making. Their ambition to spend money and to try, to try, to try, um, you can't be questioned. It's just about spending the money right. And through the history of soccer, on, other than Manchester United for the last eight years, if you keep throwing money at the problem, eventually it's going to work. And, like, again, like, whether they, as long as they don't sign Jairo Torres 2.0 next, they obviously still need to get rid of him to bring in another DP. But if they get rid of Jairo Torres, as I expect, they'll have two DP spots open. And if they hit both, that covers up a lot of problems. And if they can convince Cowan to come, that covers up some problems, too. Do you have... Maybe faith is the wrong word, but do you have any no. belief that, given that it's the organization that brought Jairo Torres in in the first place, that they will get it right this time? Not a lot of faith, but again, it's just the history of soccer is at some point one of these signings has to work, right? <laughs> just yeah, law of sure. averages. It's got to work out. Joe, I know that you are incredibly bullish on Chicago. I think you had them <laughs> second overall in Major League Soccer next season. So Correct. do you, do you want to do some defending of the fire? Uh, no, like genuinely, no, I think Tom's laid it out really, really well. And I, I don't think it behooves us to spend any more time talking about them until they actually pull one of the triggers that, you know, they're probably hovering over right now. Joe refuses to yes and improv style. Got that <laughs> down. Cool, cool, cool. Joe, who would you like to talk about? Wh- who's a team that maybe is sort of living in your head? You're wondering what they're doing. You like what they're doing. You have questions. Who is that team that you keep focusing in on for whatever reason? Well, there, there's a bunch of those teams, but one team that's sort of close to for top one. Of- Top of mind for me right now. Man, I try to yes in and give lots of options to go down, and now I get shot down. It hurts, man. It hurts. Um, I'm going down the FC Dallas route, a team that I haven't admittedly spent a lot of time thinking about this offseason so far, but we're hitting a lot of like the, the underdog teams. Right? We're hitting a lot of the, the teams that I don't think anybody expects to be great this just year. Just to be clear, the question was, who have you thought a lot about? And I believe you just said, it's a team that I haven't thought a lot about. Until <laughs> okay, thank you. last night when I was trapped watching Inter Miami take on FC Dallas at the Cotton Bowl. Uh, 
in Texas, <laughs> and I see Nico Estevez pulling out a different shape. And and I thought this was interesting for a few different reasons, right? One, I'm a tactics nerd. That's self-explanatory at the moment. But number two, one of the big talking points for Dallas this offseason, probably the biggest, has been how they need another center back, right? They look okay at the top end of midfield. I think they've got a little bit of depth there that they like and, and some pieces that I like there as well. Out wide, they look probably fine. Paul Areola was quietly terrible last year, but Bernard Camungo was really good. And that covered up some of the, some of the sins there. But the big talking point has been, are they going to get another starting center back, right? To pair with Nikosi Tafare. And then Nico Estevez comes out and rolls out a back three last night against Inter Miami. And from what I've heard, like this is something that they're really considering going to more and more as the season progresses. Like Nico Estevez seems, yeah, okay, there we go. Like Nico seems taken with the idea of playing this back three. And I don't hate it for what it does for their most important player right now in the squad, Jesus Ferreira. Ferreira didn't start as a number nine last night. He started off to the right side as sort of the half space guy in that 3-4-3. It's a really good role for Ferreira, who, who's functional enough and versatile enough to do a bunch of different stuff. But now when you go down that route, like you also need a number nine. If you're going to play Ferreira and rotate between Ferreira, Camungo, and Areola as, as your two starting players on that side, like that's the... That's the key for this Dallas team is to go through those players, but you need a number nine to go with that. And they've been linked to Bitar Musa, Benfica rotation piece, uh, young Croatian num- number who nine. Who was the really good journalist who who, who did that report? Uh, that was that was Tom Tom Boger, I believe, who did that report. Oh, he's, um, he's future, a hack there. Future Molitor. Future Molitor, Tom Boger. Um, Absolute hack. Like, like, I don't know if that deal's going to get over the line, and I would imagine there's a lot of other competition from a lot of other places to get him because his pedigree Looks real good for an MLS player, but now I'm fascinated because Dallas are, are clearly looking for something on both ends. Uh, they're looking for a number. They're looking for a number nine. Looking for a center back, and now they're rolling out a new tactical approach too. Suddenly, Dallas got real interesting compared to where they were, you know, maybe a few weeks ago or where they were at the beginning of the offseason. Uh, Tom was nodding. Would either of you rather see them splash the money to get that that DP number nine, or would you rather them splash the money to get that uh, starting high quality center back? Deep DP nine. I like. I've been dying for Jesus Ferreira to be a second forward again. Like he he played a little bit like that over the half a season when Ricardo Pepe broke out. I think that's the best for him. Like again, I think Jesus Ferreira is is a good center forward in a four three three. Like he scored what whatever it was fifteen or eighteen goals two seasons ago. Um, in that role, I still think the absolute best way to use Jesus Ferreira is off another center forward. And if they do sign Pitar Musa, um. Again, the the information I've got is he's not convinced about leaving Europe, or he's still kind of on the fence. It, it, uh, Dallas would be the the best financial package, um, as far as I understand. But I guess hmm. I, I don't know for sure. Um, but he's 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 I guess not convinced about leaving Benfica for MLS and whether he wants to stay in, in Europe or not. So again, we'll see. We're, like we're getting towards the end of the transfer window in in Europe, and particularly after February first, it'll be like, well, either I stay at my current club or I go to MLS or Saudi or, or Turkey. Tom, question for you. I, th- I think this idea of the financial side between MLS and some of these like non top tier European leagues, right? I'm thinking about Portugal. I'm thinking about Belgium, the championship, uh, the Eredivisie, like that, that tier of leagues. This topic came up when Miles Robinson chose to stay in MLS and, and just straight up said, like, yeah, I'm going to make more money with Cincinnati than I was probably in, in my next European move. Like, how are the tides changing? Not that, not that the finances are changing at, at maybe a ton. But as MLS continues to establish its profile around the world, are more of these players who are on maybe some of the fringes of good teams in those second-tier European leagues, like Musa, like, uh, I'm trying to think of, maybe some of the players that get relegated, right? Gregerson is an example of that, Buanga, Kubas, mm-hmm. those kinds of players. Are they starting to consider MLS more seriously now than maybe they would have five or ten years ago? 
Yeah, absolutely. Because this is kind of how it helped open up South America is that, you know, some of the better rising talents, they've like getting paid more. Um, the Kokoro, uh, uh, Kokoro, I haven't heard of the, the, the player that Montreal is signing from Hercules, hmm. uh, the Uruguayan center forward. He said it on the record as well. It's like the, the buzzwords that you say when, hey, this team is offering me a lot more money. <laughs> it right. was like, you know, the financial package is, you know, really good for my the family. You know, what players say in public when they mean, I want more money and they're offering it. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, and so that's not, like, that's the norm when it comes to MLS teams shopping in South America. It It's kind of been the norm in Europe. Like, that's why there's been a lot of players, straight up average players over like five years ago who were coming for like way too much money. And then it would be pretty quickly found out, oh, that guy stinks just because he's English or just because he's Serbian or just because he's Italian doesn't necessarily make him better than everybody else here. Um, so I think that there was the trial and errors. But now European players are starting to see more that, oh, I'm, like I can leave Europe, come to MLS, and then I can still go back to Europe. But some Cucho Hernandez is, is, is a really great example of this. Um, I think he's going to be back in Europe someday over the next you know couple years, right? The more and more that these perceptions change is the more and more that these deals are happening. Like Evander is somebody who always a player of his profile goes from Michelin to a top five league in Europe, right? Or whatever it is. Instead, he came to Portland. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't ever want to go back to Europe and or that he's closing that off. So, yeah, the money there, it, it, it's, it's like player by player. If you're a DP, like you will be getting more money here than um, like if he were to go to Bologna or something, I believe, is the other offer for Musa. You know, if you're a right back, maybe not just because of the constraints of the cap. And that was like going to the Miles Robinson case. Miles Robinson, like it was the same thing with Aaron Long the year before. They're more valuable here right now, right? Like, Cincinnati, like the going rate for their profile in MLS is, you know, what Miles Robinson is going to be on, what, like 1.7, 1.6? Like, I, I don't know the exact numbers. Wasn't getting that at PSV and probably maybe getting like 35% of that at PSV if, if that's what it came down to, right? Like, so it just kind of is what it is, uh, profile by profile, where the differences are going to be. And like, it, I can't blame these players for deciding to stay here. Like, I wouldn't take a 70% pay cut either. No, that's really that's really interesting, Joe. Thank you for that question. Joe asks good questions. Joe has the best questions. I've always said that. Uh, we're gonna take one more break. We're gonna come back and talk about a few more teams back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back, gentlemen. We've made it through two segments without talking about either LA team, Miami, or uh, either of Seattle or Portland. I feel like we have to rectify at least some of that now, legally speaking. Otherwise, it might not be an MLS podcast. Joe, let's start with Miami. Is the goal for most of this season just to like protect their their aging veterans at all costs? I still think this is going to be a playoff team. We talked about this. I don't think they win the Supporter Shield, but I think they are comfortably a playoff team and then they comfortably win MLS Cup. Uh, what are the keys to success for them this season, and are there any areas that they still need to strengthen? 
Yeah, well, I'll start with the second part of that question. I think there is another area now that they need to strengthen. They've just brought in another center back, Freire, who was uh, coming from Pumas. He was over in Greece as well. Like they, they have made that move official, I think, maybe literally while we've been recording. That was reported by Tom and, and other folks as well. Like this is this is a legit player that they're getting. So I, I think they have every reason to be excited about that. Uh, the other thing that I, I think they maybe need to do, and Tom, I'm curious on your your perspective of whether or not they're going to be able to do it. Facundo Farias went down with an ACL injury in Miami's first preseason game. Of all the players not named Messi in this squad, the one that I was genuinely looking forward to watching the most this year was Facundo Farias, who didn't have the final third production last year. 21-year-old Argentine winger came in midseason, one of those U22 players. He didn't have that quite all the way there, but the dribbling ability, the vision, the skill on the ball, you can tell that this guy's a player. And he's dealt with knee injuries before. This is his second major knee injury. He's going to miss the season. I would assume Miami are going to put him on that season-ending injured list, which should open up another U22 slot for them to go out and use. The key for Miami, before I flip it to Tom to see if they're going to do that or not, the key for Miami is to continue to improve their attacking play, get Julian Gressel and Luis Suarez and Messi all on the same page, and to help them stop being so over-reliant on Messi. Because Messi comes in last year, and he carried them to the League's Cup trophy. They weren't sustainable through that run. Like, they just didn't have other pieces, and now they do, right? They're betting on Luis Suarez being the guy that he was in Brazil last year, and I think that's still a pretty good a pretty good bet, despite you know, not a lot of joy for the entire attack through the first two preseason games. It's preseason. Let's all calm down. Like, this is all fine. But, like, that's that's the goal, is continue to do those things and then hope that the center backs that you've added, Freire and, and another year of, of playing time under Thomas Avila's belt, like, that those players are good enough to continue to solidify your defense, along with getting Gregory back in midfield. And will he fit in that dual number eight role that he's never really played for Miami before outside of two games last season alongside Busquets? We don't, we don't know for sure. Like, there are questions here, but I think everybody still feels real good about this squad. Tom, are they going to go out and, and find a Farias replacement? Or maybe the better question is, when are they going to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. They have a couple options. Like, they can sign a young DP as well, um, as long as they have the allocation money. Um, I don't, nobody knows exactly. I get questions from other GMs like, hey, how, how, like, how does Miami have all this allocation money to buy down all of these players they need to buy down? Hey, narc on them real fast, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I get a lot of people saying, hey, you know, you should write about this. I already did. Like, I, I don't. The, the the there's no public info on allocation money so it just kind of is what it is right now um but yeah so if if they have enough allocation money to buy down one more player they could sign it um a young dp and that person hits the cap obviously much lower than the you know senior dp it's two hundred thousand versus six hundred thousand so maybe that would help offset the allocation money whatever this is too far in the weeds so they could sign a young dp if they do intend to replace farius they could replace the u22 as far as my understanding is these are sometimes they get super complicated nothing is straightforward in the rule book which is frustrating there's always a yeah but or yeah if i believe that they would be able to replace the u22 slot if they move him to the season any injured list but the future issue that would cause yep is then that new player or one of their three current u22 has to go next year needs to be sold so i don't know what the planning is there i think again this is all speculation not inside info it seems like it'd be more straightforward for them to add a young DP if they have the money and the budget to be able, the allocation money to buy that player down because then they wouldn't be creating that problem of four U22 initiatives next offseason. Because again, I was super excited to watch uh, Facundo Farias this year as well. Like $5 million signing before his first knee injury, he was like, all right, this guy's going to go be sold to Europe for $15 million. Like that's, that, like, that's the kind of talent he was. He wasn't, he didn't have the, the final third production, like you said, Joe. But like, 
just pass the eye test pretty quickly. It's like, oh, this dude's good, right? And then, like you said, like some of the um, like middle third numbers or some of the other stuff, like it's like, all right, this is a 21-year-old kid who's adapting to a new country, new league, yeah. everything else, messy mania. Like I would love to see him with a full preseason and then getting into this team where, again, they're going to play 60 games like in, <laughs> or 70 if you include their, their 15 preseason games. Um, and so he was going to be a really important piece to this team. And he, he like Gressel, that, that's the contingency for when Messi sits is okay. Can, can Faris like break down teams with the ball transition, whatever it is. Will he take that step to be somebody who can carry us through some rotation games? Plus Julian Gressel's crossing ability is a singular talent that can create chances when things bog down or hopefully can create chances, just other options and avenues. Both of these players were, I thought really, really good in that they could complement and play with Messi. And then when Messi needs to rest, they can also do some semblance of, all right, like our attack won't completely crater without Messi. And so it's just really disappointing that he got hurt. It sucks. Joe, you answered the loan question last week on a list of questions show. That is a move Miami could make. No, they could go for a season long loan and that sort of alleviates some of the concern about a U22 after this season. Yeah, I mean, that that would help get them out of the pickle that they would create for 2025. To be honest, though, I'm not that concerned. And I wouldn't be that concerned if I was Miami about getting another U22 and having four technically in your squad with one on that season ending list. Like Thomas Aviles is legit good, right? Like, like there oh, are, there awesome. are players like, awesome. like there's going to be interest. Now the advantage is uh, the disadvantage, excuse me, is that, you know, the European club comes in and knows that Miami have to sell. And so you lose a little bit, but I mean, Miami's ownership group doesn't seem to care about year to year, day to day, like operating losses. So I-, I think it's all probably fine. I'm more curious about when that addition is going to arrive and who that's going to be and how that impacts Miami still trying to feel each other out because make no mistake, like this group, the big four and the non-big four players and, you know, how those all mess around the field. Like, there are still questions about how good, not not if this team will be good, but how good they will be. Like, I'm curious to see how this injury and the subsequent fallout kind of impacts that trajectory. Shall we talk Los Angeles's? Yes. In exactly that way. Uh, Tom, uh, with the Galaxy, Chicharito out of contract, Douglas Costa mercifully out of contract as well. Uh, Tyler Boyd moved to Nashville, Raheem Edwards to Montreal, uh, Ricky Pouj remains. Taylor, quickly, just to, just to interject, Taylor, I love how you never editorialize, man. It's always just like right to the facts. You know, there's no there's no jabs, there's no there's no barbs being tossed of around. Not. I, I really respect that about you. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that praise, Joe. Uh, Ricky Pouj, is that pretty much it? Is that what we're going for? It's going to be the Ricky Pouj show. No, I'm sure there Ricky will be Pooge more the Galaxy. The <laughs> Who is going to be joining him? Who is going to uh, round out that Galaxy squad? That will make them the Galaxy that we've come to expect in seasons past, as opposed to the Galaxy that. Uh, did not live up to Joe's expectations last season, or I believe Tom's. I think both of you uh, were pretty high on them. Yeah, where, where did you have uh, them last year, Tom? Because Goss makes fun of me literally every single show for picking them second in the West. You had them one. You had them uh, one in the oh, West. I thought, was, I thought it was third. Oh, Tom. Honestly, sorry for oh, outing Tom. you. I Yo, feel really bad about that. You, you know who else I had in my top three? FC Dallas. Just, yeah, just, just a Oh, so did, so, did, so did Goss. So you're the worst of both of us, Tom. How does that feel? <laughs> God. They're the, worst, they're the worst quality. You guys are the experts. <laughs> yeah, right? I was. Um, I, I was. Watch it. Dude, I, watch it. I was still going down with like, I don't know, man. Like, it's just, uh, Ricky Pooch is so good. I know that so that's good. probably the heart of it for you. It's just like so. Yeah. Like any team that has him, I'm like, yo, they're gonna be fine. Even in, even after their transfer ban in the summer, they had like ten games left. I was like, well, you know, Maya Yashid is pretty good, man. And, and you know, like, <laughs> Billy Sharp can score some goals. They might still make the playoffs. I swear to God, I was saying that through September. And I was like, you need to you need to jump off, get off this shit, man. Yeah. Tom, <laughs> what level team? Like, if Ricky Pooj were somehow on the Chicago Fire, 
are you then like, ah, they might be able to do it. It could be fine. Like, what what is the level where Ricky Bouge is no, no longer enough to justify your hype? No, because it like we because we've seen now that we've seen it with the Galaxy that like you, he actually does need a couple players around oh, okay. him. Like that would just be the same we've thing. Done okay. Um, but yeah, so. And again, I'm going to be pretty optimistic, and that's the foundational point. So, like, whether you agree or disagree with what everything I'm about to say, understand that it comes from my belief in Ricky Pooch to make players around him better. Um, Gabriel Peck coming in for a club record transfer, Brazilian winger. The idea this winter was we need more runners around Pooch and more players who score goals. So I interpreted that as they were going to bring in a DP9. And it doesn't look like that's the plan at the moment and that they're going to go with Jovalich. And if Jovalich is league average, he's going to score 14 to 15 goals if this attack looks like what we think it's going to look like. Gabriel Peck, I've heard some differing things on his ability or his price tag, whatever it is. Like They're still spending $10.5 million on, on, on a player who's with Brazil's Olympic qualifying team right now. Like, yeah, th- those players cost a premium. So, like... Maybe it, it is a little bit too much money, but if he's a really good player, that's going to be all that matters. Their other DP spot, they're still in talks w- with Gank and, and more so with Joseph Pansil about personal terms of they're ready to trigger an eight and a half million release clause from Gank. This guy had 17 goals and 14 assists as a winger last season. I think he's got like six and four this year. Um, if you look at his kind of advanced stats and particularly that career year, the 17 and 14 season, in Belgium, he was in the 99th percentile in goals, expected goals, shot creating actions, progressive passes received, um, all of these things that it's like if you created in a lab a player that you want to have near Ricky Pooch, it's a dude who's super dynamic, a good finisher, and makes good decisions in the final third that actually contributes to goals. He's going to be playing on the back shoulder of like he's more going to be more of like a Bulanga role of like an inside forward, not a winger. And these are the players that you need around Ricky Pooch. And with Diego Fagundes already being in the team, that gives them another option that, okay, no matter what, even if Fagundes is starting, because he's another, I want to get on the ball and create as well. And I think that that can fit well with Pooch. But the other winger at all times has to be somebody like Packer Pancel, like somebody who is playing off somebody's shoulder, playing as an inside forward, not as another winger who wants to get on the ball because then that takes away the space for all the other players. So this makes a lot more sense, I think, particularly if they get this Pancel signing over the line. I think that would be a phenomenal signing. And that would be, again, I would just start overhyping the Galaxy again. (laughs) Uh, How how overhyped would you be? Should I say, I should just keep saying first place for them until it happens and be like, I told you seven years ago, I know that there's a different coach, different sporting director and and 11 (laughs) different players, but I told you, man, I was, I was ahead of everybody. So maybe signs, reasons for optimism for the galaxy. I I say that because with LAFC, I'm, I'm much less optimistic, which is odd to say about a team that has had the consistent success they have had. But Joe, we've got, uh, Kevin Acosta, out of contract. Carlos Vela, out of contract. Palacios uh, has departed. Danny Boanga is either demanding a move or positioning himself for a new deal. But either way, there is some instability there. Tom is rubbing his hands together to suggest that perhaps money is a motivator. Uh, how are you feeling about uh, Steve Gerundolo's men? I still feel good about LAFC. I think they're pretty pretty well above the soup that we met, met like referenced mm-hmm. earlier on in the show in the West. I hate I soup. Think I, I, <laughs> You, I, sorry, to double down, Tom, to recap, you said you hate soup. Is that is that what you I just do. said? Yeah, yeah all right. I do. Interesting. Uh, it's a little overrated, probably. Or maybe, maybe it was, it's I it was in, 
important for me to completely derail your point. No, it, it was the people. Tom, the people want to know these things. They want the insight into your personality <laughs> beyond the mustache and obviously now the mold that you'll rock until the end of time. People, people want to know this stuff. Uh, I, I think this LAFC squad. Tom, is why still do you hate a- soup? Let's stick with it for a little <laughs> okay, while. Now, is it the consistency? <laughs> is it like like yeah. if there's bread with it? Does that change the opinion or is it pretty yeah, much just help, no thank I- you on soup? Just rather have a sandwich at that point, right? Like, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't love, I don't love the texture, the consistency. I'm just not, just not a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Tom, Tom doesn't like consistency in his soup or in his LA Galaxy team. Um, <laughs> this, I think this LAFC squad. I, I, neither do I, by the way. At least on the Galaxy stuff. I think this LAFC team, when you have Dennis Bowanga and you have like three returning starting level players in central midfield and like two starters along your back line, it's not ideal for LAFC. This this team's still going to be fighting for the top of the Western Conference. The West is wide open. LAFC are going to make some moves. Whether or not they'll fill all three DP spots is a question. They didn't do that last year, uh, and, and clearly they still made a deep run. One extra player maybe would have put them over the top. So maybe they'll maybe they'll do something on that front. Maybe they won't. This team's still really really good. They need another piece in midfield. They need to figure out what the attack is going to look like. They I, I don't feel great about their center back pairing with Aaron Long starting. I'm not super high on him as a player. They need to figure out the left back spot, but I think they're moving closer on that stuff. Like there are things to do. And, and Tom, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit curious. I know LAFC are usually pretty quiet and, and it's, it feels like, you know, there's not a ton that comes out of them, except when Tom's coming in with the backbreaker on Gareth Bale. Uh, but like usually things are pretty quiet around LAFC and a couple other clubs in MLS. Like, is your perception that they're waiting to figure out what happens with Vela and Buwanga before making big moves? Or why are we not hearing about them bringing in a nine, adding another piece to midfield, and kind of getting done the things that everybody knows they need to get done? Yeah, that's and probably a bad sign for Vela's future. And and I reported yesterday that they are still talking. Um, So, like, that, it's, it's a possibility that he returns. But my assumption maybe not exact understanding is that it seems like dealing with the other stuff first and then kind of figure out Vela, which doesn't make him sound like a priority and makes it sound like, you know, Hey, maybe he'll come back if if everything works out. So it's more so the other way around, which is a little surprising to me. I will say they're returning seven starters from last year's team. If Blanca does indeed stay and, and their stance is we expect him to be back. Like we obviously love him. Don't want to lose him, all that stuff. And you know, there's, Eight more days left in the transfer window, so this conversation will change after a week, um, depending on what happens. But if Bologna saves as they expect, they got eight starters. They still have Philip Krastev, who has like a $7 million purchase option, the on-loan Bulgarian international central midfielder. So maybe he steps into a bigger role. The, one of the starters they needed to replace is goalkeeper. Already have Hugo Larison. One of the starters they need to replace is Chiellini. And again, between Long, Segura, and Murillo, two of those are going to be the starters. I think they'll be fine there too. So really, like they they do still have a lot of work to do. Don't want to dismiss that at all. But it's not as much kind of as as it probably feels with Vela out of contract and Alcosta out of contract and Crepo already gone and and Palacios already gone. Like there's a lot of pillars in this squad still there. They definitely need to re up depth. They need uh, Buke to give them something, anything next year for a five million dollar U twenty two initiative signing. And they need to bring in another left back. Again, starting quality left back, midfield depth, all of this, starting number nine. But even if they just make kind of like league average or even league below average, if they return what they currently have under contract, including Bulanga, like they're still going to be really good until yeah. the summer. So, And they've definitely earned the benefit of the doubt of their maneuvering and their maneuvering on the fly and, and kind of evolving each of the last kind of three years and still being successful that I'm going to have to give them the benefit of the doubt. 
Thomas, two people that love the LA Galaxy more than life itself. I'm going to ask you maybe the hardest question I could ask. Uh, who's going to finish higher, in your opinion, Ugh. next year? LA, LAFC or the LA Galaxy? I'll, I'll do me first. I think LAFC will still finish higher, even though I like what the Galaxy are doing right now on the field and off the field as well. Yeah, it's obviously incomplete for both teams at this yep. stage. I do think if the Galaxy signed Pansil, I would slightly lean that way. Okay. And part of it would be LAFC have more competitions and there's more to kind of figure out right now and juggle with the squad. Like the depth is going to be an issue if, if they don't solve it over the next few weeks. Um, I do think that LAFC is the better bet. They're, they have much better pedigree over the last few years. Um, again, their best player, Buwanga, just won two golden boots last year and scored 38 goals. The Galaxy's best player is Ricky Pooch, is liking tweets about can't wait to see you back in Spain, stuff like that. So LAFC is is the absolute better bet and and more likely than not. But um, I do think that that pencil signing would change a lot of things for the Galaxy. Uh, a few more that we'll try to get to quickly because we are going long. Tom asked how long we'd go. I said around an hour. Tom, I hope you're ready to buckle up for like four hours. Uh, you've both it's not your fault that I won't shut the hell up. Like this is completely on me. So. If, I mean, it, we got to get the soup chat in. If we don't I'll, get that, also, in, people even tuning also in Taylor, Tom is still breaking news while we're going, which is honestly credit to you, Tom. I've been multi-screening AFCON games, and you're out here talking to sources. So apparently, according to Tom, listeners may have already seen this. Miguel Almiron, who may be going from Newcastle to Saudi Arabia, Atlanta United still have a, a big, big sell-on fee, which could come yeah. back and pay them big, big money. What is it, Tom? 20, 25 percent? Is that what is that what you reported? Yeah, I've been waiting to like I, I kind of heard this last night, and then I tried to ask a clarification on if this. Uh, sorry. People aren't reading tweet. Atlanta United absolutely have a sell-on clause in Miguel Marone, and Miguel Marone's linked with a move to Saudi Arabia. I've been told that the clause is between like around twenty or twenty-five percent, which is it's huge, a big chunk. Yeah. What I haven't gotten clarification on yet is whether the clause is sell-on period or if it's sell-on percentage of the profit. So you only mm. get a percentage after twenty-nine million. And I don't know the numbers of what the, the Saudi club is talking to Newcastle about. So they could get nothing if that's the case, but I haven't heard definitively whether it was sell-on of profit or just sell-on, period. Boom. And so I was waiting for that, and then I saw that it started to come out that some, somebody else was confirming that there was a sell-on clause, and I was like, screw it, I'm just going to tweet it right now. <laughs> but, you, but we still don't know if it's a sell-on or sell-on after profit, though, right? Correct. Which okay. is why I worded it that way. <laughs> well done, Tom. Way, way, way to report wisely. Way to report. Uh, <laughs> way to do your job, Tom. Yeah. Good job. Proud of you. Uh, you both have talked about the West not being particularly strong this season. Uh, it's fair to say the Seattle Sounders would be your favorites in the West. Mm, uh, I've got them like kind of still with LAFC. I know that's probably not going to be a very popular take among Seattle Sounders fans. I, I am maybe not quite all the way there on Pedro de la Vega in the way that everybody else <sighs> seems to be. He's, I think he's a good player. I think he's going to add some real value to to what the Sounders want to do. Listeners, Taylor loves Pedro de la Vega, in case you didn't listen a couple weeks ago. Entirely because he's FIFA, good in FIFA. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. Good in FIFA, good in real life. We all know that's how Football this Football manager does a lot of my opinions. Totally. Yeah. Don't, don't hide it. <laughs> like, he, he's a good player. Uh, just hasn't proven to be like a, a game-changing player for Lunus in Argentina. Still young. 22. I think he'll be 23 pretty early on in the season. So there's a lot of development that can still happen there. But we know that it takes time sometimes to adjust from one league to the next. And, and that does limit in my mind how good De La Vega is affects pretty aggressively how where where I would set the Sounders ceiling basically they're they're a real good team like they're bringing back 
basically every other key piece besides Nico Ladero, they're going to be good. Like the question is just how good. So I, I've got them probably still right up at the top of the West, but it wouldn't shock me if LAFC or even you know one or two other wild card teams that we don't expect come and climb over them. But yeah, they're going to be fighting for a home playoff series next year for sure. Thomas, my favorite is is probably Minnesota United because what's not to love about not having a head coach, not having a sporting director, um, and your best player just showing up whenever he wants. Like, congrats. He got celebrated for coming a week and a half late to preseason, and just what a hero is all I have to say. I, just I think it was I think it was Charlie that tweeted, like, it's it's the it's a good move from Reynoso on the power dynamics to miss, like, four months of the season last year so that you get celebrated <laughs> when you only come in a week late this year. I might start using that um, in, in, in uh, our everyday operations here at TSS. We'll see. But, Taylor, I am thinking about that. What, just to let you know ahead of time. What what was it? This it was it a Seinfeld bit where it's like, yeah, like if you're five minutes late, people are mad at you for being late. But if you're like an hour late, it's like, oh, thank you for even showing up at all. So I, <laughs> I think that's think that's what Reynos is doing. I'm um, surprised, right, Tom, because I don't think Minnesota United are in a particularly strong position. I'm shocked <laughs> that you would have them as your dominant team in the West. No, I, I'm with Seattle too, and and I agree on on I guess the flaws or, or maybe the lack of sky high ceiling with with this club but the west is is weak there's questions that all these other teams like like you said i do think it's seattle and lafc and both of them have a lot of questions um for me i'm i'm not as contingent on whether or not pedro de la vega makes an immediate positive impact or like a sizable positive impact because like like you said they're, they're returning everybody at ladero ladero wasn't starting in the playoffs so they're bringing back every single playoff starter um who knows kind of if they'll bring in another center forward. I'm assuming that they're going to with a bear having left. So maybe there's another option up top. Um, De La Vega, again, it's just another option. I think that he'll be stronger than Leo Chu just because I've never really been too convinced by Chu, but you know, who knows, but again, just having more options and more variants to change this group with the floor that was set. And with the Brian Schmetzer team, with all the quality in this team, I think that they're the best bet because their floor is so high. Like I can't imagine this team being under, 50 points honestly and like that's even with me saying yeah they're pretty good they're fine it's just what they continue to do and all you know both rolled ons having yaimar and and atencio and jao paulo and and you kind of go on down the list of all these players jordan morris like maybe again they, they don't have a buanga level player but they've got like what seven dudes who are top five at that position six yep. six five like something like that like they're gonna be really good Tom, if we're reverting back to our thumbs up, thumbs middle, thumbs down uh, evaluation of the offseason thus far, is it thumbs up for St. Louis? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. Because um, I, I, I like, I do like the Chris Durkin trade. I know that he kind of splits opinions a little bit, but I think that they really needed another body in central midfield to continue to allow Edward Lovin to push forward without needing to rely completely on Blum. Just, and, and like, again, I like Jared Stroud, but if you can turn Stroud and Bartlett into Chris Durgan, like I think that's a good trade, particularly because um, I think Bartlett, I think both Bartlett and Stroud got new contracts from DC. So like while Chris Durkin's going to use the U22 initiative slot, like those two players are about to get more expensive than they were last year. So I like, I like that move for them. Uh, the Giacchini transfer, I think it just makes sense for everybody getting up to 4 million from Como. Like that's really good. We got him in the expansion draft. I think it's good for Giacchini, like capitalizing on, on your career best year. Moving on, you know, trying to challenge for promotion in Italy. I think that that's all good. They'll need to replace him with another attacker. We'll see kind of where St. Louis go from there. But they brought in two likely new starters at fullback spots. And again, the Durkin deal that increases competition, depth, and options for Bradley Carnell. And again, this is another team that 
because it's like the opposite of what we were saying for Charlotte. Their vision from top down has been there since day one, and that's why they hit the ground running so fast last year because they knew exactly what they wanted their play style to be, and thus they knew exactly what kind of players they wanted and what every profile needed to be in every position. And again, whether you sign the best target you think you can find or a medium target you think you can find, it just lowers the variance of, I know exactly what we're looking for. So even if this player isn't exactly the best version, at least he's going to fit. And as long as you hit on enough of those guys, it just makes it easier and informs these decisions. So I think St. Louis are going to be fine. There's a regression coming. Absolutely. There was a regression that came over the second half of the season last year. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to pin them for overperforming and having a historic expansion season. I just don't, don't expect them to finish first. Don't expect many teams to finish first. It's, yeah, I don't think it's fair. Um, but I think this team should comfortably be a playoff team. And in terms of expectations, do either of you have any expectations when it comes to Toronto? Uh, positive, negative, rebuild? What are we looking at, Joe? I mean, it, we're in rebuild mode. Anybody who's in Toronto right now seems to be in rebuild mode. So There's so many needs still in this squad. And all of those needs are even buried by what on earth is going to happen with Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernadeschi. I was thinking yesterday for no reason. This is completely unprompted. I'm just broken inside. I was thinking about that half of soccer that Toronto had against Charlotte FC. And it was the first time that Insigne... Tom, do you remember this? Insigne, yeah. Bernadeschi... The 4-0 game, yeah. Yeah, Michael Bradley was on the field. Like, they were cooking. They were incredible to watch. Like, I was fully in on Toronto. And things crumbled so quickly through a cloud of vape emanating from the training ground. Like, it just it's gone so poorly for them. What's going to happen with Insigne? What's going to happen with Bernadeschi? I, I don't know. They need a number nine. They need a left back. They need a center. Like, they need ev- they need everything. Sean Johnson was terrible last year. Like, there's so many problems right now. They're my wooden spoon contender. The, the hopeful thing, and I, I, I wrote this for The Guardian recently. Like, the hope for Toronto is that they've always been willing to spend, right? So, similar to what we talked about earlier with Chicago, if you throw enough money at the problem, eventually you're going to be good. And Toronto have been good with some of the same leadership involved, so there are other more systemic problems throughout the organization in that Bill Manning is doing way too much. But like there is hope ahead. I just don't think based on where things stand now that that hope probably relates much to 2024. Yeah, it's crazy to talk about a team that had pre messy signing the highest wage bill in the league, spending 15 million on Insignia and 7 million on Bernadeschi, whatever it is, that this is a rebuilding year, right? Like, but it is, man. Like they're in this predicament because Pretty much since Tim Bezbachenko left, everything has been short-term fix, short-term fix, short-term fix. Like, just look at the roster. Like, Sean Johnson, again, I still thought that he was a good signing. They overpaid a little bit, but that's what happens in free agency. Um, Then they went out. They gave Matt Hedges multiple guaranteed years when nobody else would because they were like, we really need a center back right now, and we're in win-now mode. I don't care if this is a bad contract. We need to sign him. Oh, crap, we need a left back. Let's get Raul Petretta. Okay, we need to overspend on him guess what? He's bad. Like, And then you kind of go down the list of all these players that, oh crap, we need to duct tape this and duct tape that. And, and all right, like to get the player that we need, we need to overpay. And then all of those, uh, all of those decisions came crumbling down in 2023. Um, not least of which in senior and Bernadeschi. I really do believe that there is a pathway if they can get rid of Bernadeschi on, on a permit deal. Cause I don't think a loan really does too much. Like, it, it, whether or not it, it, it opens the DP spot. Like, again, these are arcane rules about maybe it would because he didn't come on a transfer fee. I don't know. It's just it depends on how much the salary is covered. It, it's, so if they're able to get rid of him permanently, I think that'd be the, the perfect um, resolution for all parties. Then there's a world in which, all right, Insignia is really good. And then you sign 
more, I guess, hardworking players to cover up the deficiencies that Insigne have off the ball. Look, Carlos Vela won MVP. Lucho Costa doesn't do a ton off the ball, right? Like going down the list, like you can you can carry somebody who's a passenger in defense if they're that good in the attack. Um, maybe they they the three new starters they need on the back line. Maybe they hit all three of those. Like I don't think that there should be any expectations of twenty four, and they better be thinking long term. Which I do believe this front office, Jason Hernandez, is the new GM. I I am certain that that's what they are doing, which is what they need to do. Um, but there is at least like a little sliver of hey, if, you know. If these nine things work out, like, it's just so weird to talk about a team that has Insignia, the second highest paid player in the league, in his prime Italian international as like, a, this team stinks and this is a rebuilding year. Like, it's just weird to like juxtapose those two thoughts. Uh, Tom, Joe had them as his potential wooden spoon contenders. Do you have them similarly ranked or is there anybody else below them? Yeah, that, that that's it for me. Um, Chicago and D.C. are probably down there. Um, Yay. Yeah. Yay, DC. Minnesota, obviously. Duh. And Austin, I think, are going to be fine, but they are another team that's in the bucket of they need to sign like four new starters. So at current time of this discussion, I think you put, like, I don't think Austin are going to be particularly great this year. Um, But as long as they do sign, like, they've been clearing out space since Rodolfo Burrell came. I've got to imagine that they've got at least three new starters coming in. Um, Again, just speculation, not any inside info. But as of right now, I think that they would be in that air quote top tier for Wooden Spoon. I'd add CF Montreal in as well, even though I like the coaching hire. The roster is just not very good. So they're in that bucket for me as well. There we are. Yeah, Joe, I, I'm you. on the fence about that. Oh. I, I think like I, I was right. as I was scanning, like, I, I think that they I think that they're like I was on the fence about whether to put them there. But like the the, the two signings they're making, I already forgot how to pronounce Kokoro and Strong that side. Bulgarian. Yankov, like both of those moves aren't announced. I know that Kokoro is happening. Yankov reportedly is traveling to Canada today. Um, so I think that, that that changes the math a lot. And a week ago, I would have absolutely said, yeah, I really like the coaching hire, but they just don't have enough talent. Um, and again, maybe these two players don't work out or maybe it takes them a little while, but um, that was just enough hope to kind of have them push into the next year. There we are. Well, gentlemen, thank you both. Uh, uh, sorry to any fan bases that we did not get to. It's kind of tough to get to every single fan base in like an hour-ish uh, podcast episode, but we do our best to run through them. Joe Lowry, thank you for all of your knowledge and insight today. Yeah, thanks, Taylor. This was fun. And your lack of mullet as well. Tom Bogert, thank you very much, my friend, uh, for breaking news in the middle of the show, but not <laughs> on the show. We really appreciate that. I <laughs> uh, love seeing your guys' face and hearing your voices. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, Listeners, thanks so much for listening. Uh, Please continue to do so, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.